Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. I am just giddy to preach today. I'm very, very excited. (laughs) Um, Walking through uh, the book of Mark for this past month, personally, um, and just seeing the identity and the mission of Jesus laid out so clearly has just been amazing. Um, but uh, this morning was a blessing. Um, Carrie and James and the team, thank you guys so much for just leading us in celebration and just, it's wonderful. It's just grateful. Worship is good for the soul. Um, it's wonderful. Um, cool. So we're studying the book of Mark. Um, and last week we went through the first eight chapters. Um, this week we're kind of focusing on the point of the next eight chapters. We found that last week it's an incredibly fast-paced gospel. It is all over the place. Um, and Lacey uh, last week, I don't, I don't see her around, but uh, sh- uh, there she is. She sent me a, a meme after service last week um, that I thought was very appropriate. Um, Matthew says, before I begin, let me give you a genealogy of Jesus, just so you know this is about a real person. Luke says, before I begin, let me tell you the backstory that led up to all of this. John says, before I begin, let me explain why it's uh, important to believe that Jesus is the son of God. Mark, let's get down to business. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and it jumps right in. It's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> so quick recap from last week. The gospel is the good news about a coming victorious king. That is the gospel. Um, Mark wrote the gospel of Mark, um, and he was the apostle Peter's friend and translator when Peter was teaching and preaching in the city of Rome. Um, the perspective seems very much like Peter's voice, um, his attitude, his, um, uh, just it's from his point of view. It seems like, um, and the uh, first eight chapters focus on Jesus's identity. The second eight chapters focus on Jesus's mission. It is um, very straightforward. Um, you know that we can be right about the identity of Jesus, but wrong about his mission. And our hope today is that we can get both of those right. We can know his identity and that we can know his mission so that we can walk with him. Um, the last passage that we looked at last week, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and um, Jesus hands the keys of the kingdom into the hands of just this fisherman guy um, just because he could correctly identify who Jesus was, right? Um, we're, uh, uh, we saw that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus goes on and on about all the authority and power that he, he hands to those who, who can correctly identify who he is. The very next passage in that story says this. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and after three days rise again. This is a real turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark's been driving home uh, Jesus's identity. And now all of a sudden there's this shift. Um, 
Jesus begins predicting what's to come, predicting his suffering and his death on a cross and his resurrection. Um, up to this point, Jesus has been extremely secretive about, uh, about his, his identity and his mission. Um, he tells people, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> Very strange thing to say. <laughs> you know, he says, like, don't, don't tell anybody about the healing that you just received. Right? He goes as far as to like say, tell demons to shut up when they start saying, I know who you are. Like there's this secretiveness. Um, and a lot of people like it, it's this, it's peculiar. It's a peculiar part of scripture. People wonder why. And it seems like the reason is because of the timing, because the minute Jesus starts spreading this news um, of, of who he is being blatant about his mission and predicting um, his death and his resurrection, it all happens very quickly. It's like pretty instantaneous. Um, and you, you, you start to think like, well, if maybe if he had said it right away, um, they, you know, they would have killed him sooner. You know? <laughs> um, so, and we can tell that this right here, this is a new teaching of Jesus in, at this conversation in Mark 8. Um, not only because the scripture says he began to teach them, um, but because of the reaction of his disciples to this right here. Um, this, is what, this is what Peter says back. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> right? Peter hears that Jesus is going to suffer and die um, and decides to take the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God aside, you know, and start to correct him, criticize him, right? It's amazing how fast things can go to your head, right? All of a sudden, like God anoints you to do something and you're like, oh, <laughs> I it's crazy. It's crazy. Can you imagine? Right? All right. This is what Jesus says back, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. <laughs> for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, massive rebuke, right? Sick burn. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus tells Peter, his mind's in the wrong place, right? His priorities are all screwed up. Um, Peter got the identity of Jesus, right? He got the mission of Jesus wrong, right? And then <laughs> the next eight chapters is Peter's voice, through Mark, telling us what the real mission of Jesus is. Um, we can get a pretty good picture of what Peter had thought the mission of Jesus was. Um, there was this growing tension between the Romans and the Jews. Um, oh, there it is again. Um, the Jerusalem and all of Israel really had been under Roman occupation for about a hundred years. Um, the Roman Senate had declared Herod the Great, the king of the Jews. Romans were like, okay, Herod, you are now king of all Judea. Um, in scripture, we see Herod the Great um, order the killing of uh, all of the infants in the region of Bethlehem that were two years old and under um, when Herod found out about the Messiah being born. Um, and when Jesus was a young child, there was a huge revolt in Jerusalem. Um, and the Romans responded to this Jewish revolt by crucifying 2,000 Jews. Um, the Romans had taken away much of the Jewish 
um, leaders or the Jewish people's authority to govern themselves, which is why they have to actually, when plotting to kill Jesus, they have to go to the Romans and get the Romans to execute Jesus because they're, they're not even allowed to punish um, prisoners. Um, the Romans separated the people of Israel into groups. They forced many of them out of their homes. They took slaves back to Rome. They forced Jews to fight as gladiators. Um, and these tensions, they build and build and build, and they end up resulting in multiple Roman-Jewish wars. Um, to give you an idea of where these tensions lead, um, in later years, after Jesus had ascended, the Romans institute this special tax. And if just for Jews, that if the Jews pay this tax, they're allowed not to sacrifice to the, Ro the Roman imperial cult. Eventually, the Romans would lay siege to Jerusalem for five months. They would rush in, destroy the city, and they'd smash the temple to bits. Um, this is a sculpture that's found in the city of Rome that celebrates the sacking of Jerusalem. It's found on an arch. Um, and you can see they're taking away the menorah from the temple, as well as a bunch of other um, holy items. Right, um, the Romans ended up renaming Judea into a, their own name and renaming the city of Jerusalem into something else, all in an effort to divide um, the Jewish people from their land. Um, it gets pretty bad, um, and Jesus begins preaching right in the middle of this tension. Not at the beginning of that story, not at the end of that story, like right in the middle of that story. You know, and and. You know what people are thinking? They're thinking this guy, Jesus, he could be the next Moses, right? He could be the, the person who leads us out of captivity, right? Destroying the armies of our enemies, right? That's the story of Moses. All of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's armies get wiped out. He thinks Jesus could be the next Joshua, right? Jesus could lead us into the promised land, right? Take what's ours with a sword. That's what Joshua did right? He could be the next David, right? Uniting the kingdoms of Israel once again into one country, expanding her territory. He could be the next Nehemiah, organizing the rebuilding of culture and society, helping us to regain our independence, right? These are the typical heroes of Jewish culture, right? And the assumption is that if the Messiah is here, He's going to stop our men, women, and children from dying, right? That is, that is the assumption. He's going to reestablish justice that we've lost, right? They're going to remove this Roman rule that is extremely offensive in every possible way to us, right? And when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to be killed soon, that's just too much for Peter to bear, right? That's just, that's one step too far, Right? Peter probably knows people who were killed by the Romans. He probably knows friends and family who were killed by the Romans. And Jesus is his sign of hope. Um, but if Jesus' mission is not to establish an independent Israel, and if it's not to defeat the Romans, what is it? And thankfully, the gospel of Mark is so clear and so direct on what the mission of Jesus is. And this is probably because Mark, as Peter's translator in Rome, heard this 
over and over and over again from Peter himself who learned this lesson. Um, there's a two-part mission in Jesus, uh, in the gospel of Mark, two-part mission um, of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Number one, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Mark 1 says, and Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Um, I think it's really interesting that Jesus starts teaching, it starts preaching the gospel before he even dies, before there's a cross, before there's a resurrection, there's a gospel, right? Jesus wasn't preaching about the cross in the gospel story. Uh, Jesus was preaching. He wasn't saying, I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And if you just believe those facts, you'll be saved, right? It makes you think, what, what was the gospel he was preaching? What's the most important part of the gospel? What's the key elements of the gospel? We see that here. Mark 1, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the gospel right there. The kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and for believers who are preaching the gospel along with Jesus, this is a more difficult way to preach the gospel than what we generally do, right? Our typical method looks something like this, you know, Jesus loves you bumper sticker, you know, or we'll tell somebody, you know, if we're feeling particularly brave, Jesus died for you, right? It's more, ch when we say things like this, our typical response that we get back is great. See you later. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> thanks for letting me know. You know, Jesus loves me. Awesome. You just brought a smile to my face. You know, like, <laughs> like that's, <laughs> it's more challenging to preach that the king has come, right? And he's demanding your allegiance, right? It's, it's more challenging to preach like, hey, like the situation has changed. Life is different now that Jesus has come. Um, it's more challenging to preach that. It's also more challenging to hear that, Right? Um, and that's the message that gets Jesus thrown out of cities, right? Or that riles up the mobs. That's the message that, you know, ticks off the religious leaders and, and ultimately gets him crucified, right? If Jesus just went around saying, I love you, or I'm going to die for you, right? That's, it's not a, offensive in the same way as, hey, the king has come and you have a choice today. Choose whom you're going to serve. Um, and if we're faithful to preach the real gospel, the, the truth is we're going to come up with the same division that, that Jesus and his disciples came up against. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying, you're going to get pushed back and there's going to be a loss, right? There's a reward for those who preach the gospel. Jesus goes even further with the predictions of pushback in Mark 13. You must be on your guard. 
You'll be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogue on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mark wrote this about five years after his friend Peter was crucified upside down for the sake of the gospel. Right? Why was he crucified? Because he wouldn't shut up about this king who demanded allegiance. Right? He wouldn't shut up about the good news that a good king is coming. And he, <laughs> he's calling you to be a citizen in his kingdom. Why does Peter do that? Why does Peter continue to preach? Because of Jesus himself, right? Because Peter's lived an undeniable, miraculous life with Jesus that he can't let go of. There's no turning back. Peter knows that whatever he's lost in this life, he's going to receive back 100-fold. God's not going to be a debtor to any man. Peter knows that he's going to receive eternal life and unspeakable joy in the presence of the Lord. Previously, I said there's a two-part mission of Jesus. Number one, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Mark is very explicit that there's a second part to this mission, to give his life as a ransom. We see this in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come to give his life as a ransom for many? Ransom is a weird word here. Why does Jesus use that terminology? Um, remember, Jesus says, everybody who commits sin is a slave to sin. If you commit sin, you're a slave. And a ransom is a price you pay to get somebody out of bondage, right? It's that big stack of money that the kidnappers are after, right? Like that's the ransom. And in our case, our sin is demanding death. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Why is it death? It's because God is absolutely holy. He's absolutely just, right? He doesn't let the wicked go unpunished. Romans says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, right? Death and destruction is coming for everyone who sins because of the good justice of God, right? The only adequate substitute for the sins of the world is the perfect lamb of God. God himself is the only one who could be a substitute that's the mission. That's the reason that Jesus came, right? And it's amazing that, that Jesus says this before he goes to the cross. He lays it all out before he goes. He knew his mission, right? He knew why he came. Jesus healed a lot of sick people in his ministry, but his mission here on earth was not to set up a miraculous hospital, right? He healed, he cast out a lot of demons, right? 
Casting out demons was not his ministry, right? He ruffled a lot of religious feathers, but ruffling religious feathers was not his primary ministry, right? He's flipped a lot of tables. He did not establish a flipping tables ministry, right? Like, the mission of Jesus is spelled out so clearly in Mark to give his life as a ransom for many. The forgiveness of sins is why Jesus came. The forgiveness of sins is why Jesus came, right? And he was laser focused on this mission. Um, Last week, uh, I talked about, there's a story in Mark of the paralytic man who was brought by, uh, so (laughs) there's this lame man on the road and his friends come up and have compassion on him. And they, they hear about Jesus, the healer. And boy, I know exactly what you need. I know what you need. And they pick him up, right? And they take him and to, to the house where Jesus is. And, and they're disappointed because the house is full of people. They can't get to Jesus. And, but they're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. And they climb up on the roof. They break a hole in the roof. And they lower this lame man down, this paralytic man down in hopes that he'll receive a miracle, right? And this is what Jesus says right at the bottom there. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What? (laughs) Like Jesus sees this broken body in front of him, right? And he says, hey, I have what you need. Your sins are forgiven. That's not where I would expect this story to go, right? And it's stuff like this that surprises people about Jesus, right? This is why Jesus is different. This is why Jesus has crowds around him. This is why everybody's arguing about who Jesus is and what he's up to, right? Because he's, he's something. He's different. Jesus lays out clear priorities here. He sees a physical need, but he, he addresses the more important problem that the, the man has, his sin you got to think, what, what were the friends thinking? Like, we just carried him all this way, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, do we start raising it back up, up the roof, right? <laughs> Jesus knows the needs of the soul are more important than the needs of the body. And this is why Jesus says in Mark 8, what good is it for somebody to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Right? Jesus did a lot of things in the natural, but everything that he did in the natural was to point to something in the spiritual. That's why he said to those who questioned his authority to forgive sins in this story, that you may know that the Son of God has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What was the reason that Jesus healed this man? I believe Jesus is completely compassionate. I believe Jesus wants healing for everybody. He wants complete wholeness. Jesus is all about restoring stuff. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying, (laughs) right? But the reason in this story that Jesus himself says, I healed this man was so that you know, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Forgiveness is the point. Forgiveness is the point, right? And Peter missed this when he rebukes the Lord, right? Like he misses the mission of Jesus. And I don't want us to miss this today. Let's think about the people around us here. The people that we encounter on a daily basis, the people who we think, boy, you really have a need, right? Do we have the mind of Christ to say, 
their greatest need is the gospel. More than food, shelter, clothing, transportation, utilities, right? That is hard. They need the gospel. They need the forgiveness of sins. Let's think about ourselves. We need the gospel more than anything else. We need the forgiveness of sins more than anything else, right? Your huge list of things that you've got to get done, your big list of problems that you don't have solutions for right now, the bills that you got to pay, right? The problems that you have in your relationships with other people, whatever it is, none of those problems compare with our first problem of sin, right? None of those issues stacks up against the offense that we have against almighty God. All right, now church, let's think about us together as the body of Christ. The church's ultimate mission is not feeding the hungry and it's not healing the sick, right? It's not accomplishing acts of social justice. It's not digging wells or supporting schools, right? It's not advocating for criminal justice reform. It's not electing certain people to positions of power, right? It's not about banning abortion. That's not the primary mission of the church, right? What Bill talked earlier about, I'm going to, we got this fantastic land restoration uh, project going on right now, right? We're working with it. It's wonderful. Um, We're working with the DNR and, and it is going to be beautiful, right? And it is all about restoring creation to God's original intent of something beautiful that reflects his character and his majesty and his glory a place that we can rest, the place that we can pray. It is, is going to be absolutely amazing, right? God told us, care for the land, <laughs> tend to it, right? And maybe you're a visitor here today, you're a guest, and you're, you're somebody who's walked the trails back here, and you're coming to this church to figure out what we're really about. You know, who, who are these people, right? Our primary mission is we're working with Jesus. We're co-laborers, as the Bible says, with Christ for the proclamation of the gospel, right? We want to see the rescued soul of everyone in the surrounding area. That is our, that is our hope. That is our mission, right? Our primary mission is the delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, salvation and forgiveness for everyone. That takes precedence over everything else that we do, right? Do we do other things? Absolutely. Right? It, Everything else that we do, absolutely everything else we do is living out the gospel and being a part of the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing here, right? There's a lot to do in the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a working kingdom, right? <laughs> it's not just a laying around kingdom, right? We got stuff to do. <laughs> we love our neighbors. We fight for justice and peace, right? We give mercy and we give grace, We raise our kids, we pay our taxes, right? We do all the things, we take the trash out, (laughs) right? But it's all as a part of following Jesus and a part part of being a part of the kingdom of God, right? And it all starts with what Jesus came to do, which was to save souls, right? Bring people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All right, so the question I have for us today, in what ways have we made the same mistake as Peter did and started setting our mind on the things of men, as opposed to setting our mind on the things of God. In what ways have we prioritized the natural instead of the supernatural? 
Jesus tells the story in the gospel of Mark about the gospel being choked out by the cares of the world. Oh, this is Mark four, by the way, I missed that number. One, um, talking about seeds, there's one sown among thorns. There, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, choke out the gospel, and it proves unfruitful. What are the cares that are choking out the gospel in your life? Maybe you've received the message of the kingdom for yourself. Maybe you've received forgiveness and grace for yourself and you're a part of the kingdom, but the life you're living is telling the lost world that other things are more important, right? This is something we can turn around today. It's something we can change today. If you're a believer in Jesus, I've got some practical things you can do this week. Number one, meditate on the gospel. Like just do it 10 minutes a day make a huge difference in your life, right? Think about what the Lord saved you from. Think about the new life that he's given you, the blessing of being able to know him and spend time with him, right? Let that joy and thankfulness color the way that you organize your day, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you tackle your problems in your life, right? I'm thinking like Paul and Silas chained up, right? but they're singing about the goodness of God, right? Like they're literally in a a Roman prison for preaching the gospel, right? Their circumstances are terrible. They're probably, you know, on their way to crucifixion or whatever, you know? And they're singing about the goodness of God. Their minds are on the kingdom. Their minds are on the gospel. Number two, talk about sin. It's an uncomfortable subject right? We don't like to talk about it. This is is a practical thing you can do. Have one conversation this week. You know, talk to your kids about sin, right? Talk to your kids about your own sin, the things that you do that need forgiveness from God, right? And the things that they do, you know, that need forgiveness from God. Make it a part of your language. Number three, preach the gospel. One person this week, Preach the gospel to one person, right? Say, I believe God is king and you should come back to him. You should come back to God. Paul says that we're, we're pleading with the world. God is pleading through us. Come back to God, right? That's the message. That's what preaching the gospel looks like. Come back to God. It's scary. It might feel embarrassing, right? You can do it. You can do it. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the price that you paid for our freedom. We thank you for forgiveness and for grace. We thank you that you came to earth, God, in order to give your life as a ransom for us. God, you did it. You were victorious. You accomplished your mission. God, and we, we praise you for that. We celebrate that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that sin and death are defeated. Thank you that we can be alive. We can be free. God, we ask that you would give us a new mind. God, help us to renew our mind, Lord. God, to a mind that is set on the things of you, set on the things of heaven. 
instead of on the cares of this world. We ask that God, nothing would choke out the message of the gospel. Nothing would stop God, your, your good news from infecting our heart, God, and spilling out into everything we say and everything we do, Lord. God, may the gospel take root in our hearts. God, may we have a heart to see your will be done. See your will be done, God, in, in our lives and the lives of the people around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.